0: Hi, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and we are so lucky we don't just have one amazing guest, we have two. Um, So, before we dive into our episode where we're going to talk about fees and dysphagia management, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor. So, um, a reminder that this episode is sponsored by AMN Passport. We all know that life can get busy. And that's why AMN has created Travel Healthcare's highest rated mobile app that helps you find, book, and manage your next healthcare assignment from the palm of your hand. AMN Passport puts you on the fast track to your next travel job. Receive instant job match notifications when you download AMN Passport today. Okay, now on to our episode. So again, like I said, we have not one, but two amazing guests. We have Allie Materas and George Barnes, and we are going to talk all about fees today, which is an, a, a subject that I just don't know a lot about, so I'm excited to learn from them. But let me tell you a little bit about them first. Um, Allie is an SLP. She's treated patients with dysphagia in a variety of settings. She's successfully implemented and managed fees programs at the corporate corporate level, and she is the director of fundraising for the Dysphagia Outreach Project. Ali believes wholeheartedly that all persons with dysphagia should have direct access to the tools that are vital in both the management of dysphagia as well as the overall improvement of quality of life. And George is also an SLP and he's a board, he's board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and has developed an expertise in dysphagia management. George yearns to make education useful, uh, research clinical focused and quality care accessible. With a passion for food, which is great with this field you're in, and a deep appreciation for the joy and connection it gives to our lives. He has dedicated his life to helping others enjoy this simple but deep-rooted pleasure. So Allie and George, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: It's great to be here. Yes, absolutely. It's always fun to have two people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, before we get started, I just would love to hear from each of you. Um, and maybe, Allie, you can go first, or together, you all can t- tell the story. But just, you know, what led to your paths as to becoming SLPs? And then, how did you all partner together to, to start this business to, uh, working with fees?
2: Sure. I became an SLP initially because my sister, who I just adore, so much. She actually has central auditory processing disorder. And so I remember her mm. SLP at mm-hmm. the time. She went to speech therapy during the summer. Uh, I remember her speech pathologist at the time. She would let me sit in uh, and, you know, we would learn together and I would help my sister with all of her strategies. And I loved that. And then in grad school, something just, just changed for me when we were in clinic doing clinical swallow evaluations and something just clicked. I said, this is it, this is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. And so I started out in the nursing homes uh, and that the called nursing facilities and that was connected to the hospital that George was working at and still is. And George was kind enough to take me under his wing to teach me modified barium swallow studies and the interpretation of that. And that's how we met, the rest is history. What about you, George?
1: Uh, I first got into the field of speech pathology after working a couple of years in marketing and realizing that business was absolutely not for me. And uh, ironically, (laughs) I ended up owning a business and running a business. But um, I wanted to get into a field where I could help people. I could work on problems, meaningful problems that made a difference in people's lives and it brought me to speech pathology where you, we can do a lot uh, in a lot of different areas. It has the flexibility to work with different populations, different age groups, different settings, and I fell in love with that uh, versatility and that variety. And then I really only discovered after I was in graduate school this concentration on dysphagia, um, and I thought, I love food, I love cooking. Why not dedicate my life to helping other people enjoy those same pleasures? And uh, that's what kind of sent me down this really lovely rabbit hole, this long journey. And um, in terms of starting starting our business, I you know, Ali and I both saw a need in New Jersey for uh, for uh, high quality instrumental assessments and um, uh, providers that could reach a variety of facilities, and we we sort of partnered up. We you know we were working together in in this hospital, and um, you know Ali is one of the most hardworking people that I have ever met. And she has dedicated her entire life to this profession and, you know, partnering her, partnering with her was really one of the best and easiest decisions I could have made.
0: Oh, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice thing to say, but it sounds like it was uh, a great partnership and you realized that you would work well together also. And Definitely. I do, I, I, you know, it's, very obvious that you both feel very passionate about this field and, and what you're doing, which is, it's, it's very um, obvious. So when you decided, like, what was the, you'd obviously been doing modified barium swallows and then decided to move to fees. And I know we're going to dive into that because I think there's still a lot of us, including myself that are just, it's, know enough to not even to be dangerous just (laughs) I don't know enough um but so did you know had you done fees in the hospital had you seen it and then said hey Allie I think this would be a great opportunity for us or how did that come about
1: yeah so um neither of us had really a, a lot of experience in it we we both kind of knew that this was something that we Wanted to do and that we wanted to get training in, and so um, so Allie kind of spearheaded the process, and you know she uh, she did an incredible job of advocating for this service for a, a huge network of facilities, and so she um, really. M- made a huge difference in these facilities because she was on the road basically doing what she does now and what our company does now, but working for another employer. And so, um, you know, she did a great job of sort of Proving to uh, to herself and to these facilities that this is a really meaningful test that can make a big difference, and so when she became trained, she then trained me, and I started doing it in um, in a critical illness recovery hospital where I developed my experience, and uh, and then from there we we really kind of grew a passion for this area, and we decided to start a company doing. Fees for primarily nursing homes.
0: Wow! So it, this is like, you're change makers. I mean, you didn't just you you didn't just stumble into this. You made it happen, and it's it's grown into this incredible business. So before we get, I, I want to dive into fees, but you just have to share, Allie. What is the name of your company? Because I think it's so clever.
2: <laughs> well, I have to give credit to George for this one. Uh, but when he shared it with me, I thought, absolutely, there's no other name but Feasible Swallow Solutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. I
0: loved it. Yes. I was like, that's so clever. Um, and we'll link all that information and talk more at the end. But, okay, what is, can, can you give us just an overview of what is fees and, you know, what, um what sort of training did you receive to be able to, to do this service? So I guess first maybe Allie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what is it for those of us who don't know?
2: Absolutely. So fees is an instrumental swallow study and it involves a small three millimeter, like the, the diameter of a spaghetti noodle, uh, camera endoscope with a light source being placed along the floor of the nose to overlook the throat when a patient is swallowing and what we are able to see is the pharynx and the larynx and we put food dye in the food and the liquid so that we can see it pass through and we can see if a patient if if it's going down the wrong way which is aspiration if it's going down towards the right way which is you know the the esophagus the food tube Um, and we can assess by what we see by, you know, the location (laughs) of some residue, some food being left over or the presence or absence of aspiration, just a lot of, um, pathophysiology or, you know, the markers for dysphagia. We can find those, assess those, assess the rationale for why those things are happening and ultimately come up with a, not only a diet recommendation, but more importantly, so a care plan for the dysphagia management for the patient.
0: That's really a, uh, yeah, I've, I've um, experienced it once and can't say it was like the most amazing experience, but it also wasn't the worst experience. So it was, and, and it was quick. So there was that too. Um, and George, you alluded to this a little bit and, you know, skilled nursing, but who, the tell us a little bit about who are the majority of the patients you're serving and what has led them to need this evaluation? Like what is, what typically the referrals are saying when you're, when you're getting them?
1: Yeah. So the, the population that we primarily serve are patients that are in nursing homes, patients, Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, you know, long-standing disease processes like Parkinson's disease, dementia um, you can have patients just with long-term disabilities, um, the aging population which has you know uh, pe- people that have a variety of medical complexities and so it tends to be these patients that a lot of them unfortunately have have sort of gone a long time without, getting a swallow study and getting a proper look at what's going on. And so that is sort of where our our passion comes from, to be able to give some of these patients the access to high quality swallow studies where we can uh, very easily and efficiently come into the facility and basically, the the patient doesn't even have to leave the bed. So we go at the bedside, and um, that is extremely convenient, and it makes it extremely accessible for patients that just going out of the facility for a test can be incredibly cumbersome, um, inconvenient, uh, uncomfortable, and even dangerous. So Uh, that's sort of where the model came from and why we feel like it's so important to give access to these very vulnerable patient populations that really need uh, this type of testing.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was thinking as you're talking about it is it's so smart because I briefly worked with adults before realizing that the hospital never closed. (laughs) I was like, why am I here on Christmas? (laughs) Oh, this place doesn't close. Um, and so I, but I remember that that was almost a barrier sometimes to like in skilled nursing, um, is that, you know, getting them to a facility to have a modified barium. And so I felt like a swallow study. So I felt like there were delays in, and so, you know, to your point that they often haven't had this any testing done because it just wasn't feasible for so many reasons. And I'm also thinking just more cost effective because to load them up and, you know, if they need special transport and they need, you know, the extra caregivers or staff to help with that. I mean, all of those are, and then the actual test itself, once you get there. And so all of those have a cost or especially as we know, there's a lack of, 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 people. We don't have as many people doing the work mm-hmm. now, and so then you don't have as many support staff and caregivers. So, yeah, it's just really smart in that way. Yeah,
1: it it wasn't feasible, Jennifer, but now it is feasible.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I had see, to sneak that I was in waiting there. for that. See what you did there. I know. You, you you would think you would think that I set that up, but I it was so it was, you did. It was it. An you an knew. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So, and then, you know, you said there's the camera and, um, the, the spaghetti noodle <laughs> is that I'm sure that's not the technical term, but what does the other equipment look like? So when you're bringing it in, does it, is it something that you can roll in? Is it, what is, what is the equipment like?
2: All of them can look a little bit different. Um, but ours comes on a big rolling cart and it has a nice big monitor that we can see in real time the patient swallowing. And what I found is that the a lot of the patients really like to participate in their own swallow studies. So they like to look at the monitor, see what's happening they sit, you know I I tell them that 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 black triangle that little black hole is their trachea and you're going to swallow really hard so that something or so that you can keep the liquid from going down that little black hole and uh, so patients get biofeedback from being able to participate in this type of study which is very therapeutic very helpful um and that's, I think that's been the most helpful part of doing fees is allowing uh, and getting to have the privilege of the patient being able to participate more so than the modified barium swallow study.
0: Yeah. And that's such a great call out because I'm thinking even with a trained eye, it's really hard to know what's going on in a modified barium swallow study, much less if you're the patient looking, it's like you would never have any understanding of what was going on. where. I do love that idea where you can say, you know, this part is this, this is what this does. This is what we want to see. And they can actually see in real time what's happening. So it that does, and even for the caregivers, it's like, I can't, that just seems like it takes that learning and understanding to a different level.
2: The families are able to participate in the fees as well. Um, I can I can count on probably... One hand, the amount of times I've just seen a patient alone in in the room by themselves. Most often, the caregivers or the CNAs, the nurses, they want to be involved. They want to see, you know, that patient uh, progress throughout the test. So it's a really cool, uh, interactive and just team approach.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure it helps also with just that follow through because they've actually seen what's going on. So it's not, you know, well that we we need this modified diet and we need this, and I think. It's it's probably you know better for them to have seen it and say oh that I know exactly why we're doing that based on seeing that versus just coming back and saying oh here's the report that says A B and C so yeah I can imagine that um, and George you you alluded that you could even do this at the bedside if not at the bedside where else do you commonly perform this
1: so 99 percent of the time it is at the bedside that's the most convenient Mm -hmm. place for the patient Um, you know there are you know some facilities might have community areas where they have easier uh, easy access to to food and liquid um, or a bigger space to do um, different trials but the you know a big part of this is making it as convenient as simple as Uh, you know, carefree for the patient as possible and doing it right in the comfort of their own bed is really the best way that we can do that for them.
0: Yeah. And it's also privacy and it's just, yeah, all the things that, did do lead to more comfort and and better outcomes and getting the information that you're looking for yeah
1: and like what Ali was saying a big part of it is having the family involved as well which is a challenge in the hospitals with modified barium swallow studies and exposure to radiation and the different policies Mm -hmm. and procedures that are put in place um, rightfully so with a radiology suite where you the family members may not have the same type of access. You know, just today I would not have been able to perform this fees on a patient if it wasn't for their family member there holding their hand, kind of coaching them through it, having a familiar mm-hmm. face there to be able to explain this you know, uh, procedure That certainly is not done every day for for different patients and certainly can be a bit awkward having a camera stuck in your nose. Um, But having a family member there and having them kind of, you know, teach them and coach them exactly what we're trying to do. And of course, the end goal, getting them to eat and drink something that maybe they haven't had in a long period of time, Um, you know, having that sort of support is really important.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, that's especially too when you're looking at people that maybe have some cognitive impairments. I mean, that's scary where you're like, I don't know who this is, I don't know what that is. So yeah, to have that familiar face would be so important. Definitely. And Allie, what if somebody's listening and thinking, I am would love to be able to do fees, what was the training process like for you to get certified in this?
2: Sure, sure. So a big buzzword nowadays when talking about fees training is the word competency. So you have to be deemed competent in fees by a person who practices fees. So a lot of people are we're moving towards the competency direction because with a certification, a certification implies that there's a protocol and a specific methodology, and you know exactly a stopping and end date for this certification. And for the sake of our patients, for the sake and, and safety of our patients, this is more of a competency process, whereas a, a trainee can undergo anywhere from 15 uh, fees passes to 50 fees passes. It all depends on how the trainee feels after training and how the trainer feels about the progression of the trainee during during um, the process. So I've had people train under me in as little as 15 passes, and then I've had uh, other trainees who require a little bit more more help. And I love when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I think mm-hmm. I'm going to need a few more passes under my belt before I start uh, seeing patients on my own. So it's all good. We're all here to serve the patients and competency is the way to go. It's definitely um, the wave of the future as far as fees training is concerned.
0: And so then our, let's say, you know, I, as SLP say, okay, Allie, George, I really would love to have this, this competency. I want to learn this. I could, is this one of the services that you all provide through your company is that you help people to, to do this who are also interested in doing it?
1: So we are sort of in the early stages of developing a program to do that. Okay. So, so currently the answer would be no, but this could be something just a few months down the line where we will have a program up and running. Uh, Right now, we're sort of putting our feelers out to see what kind of needs there are, and there do seem to be a lot, Um, you know, particularly uh, in sort of the same type of facilities that we already provide access to. Different hospitals and nursing homes are thinking, you know, we want to be able to provide our patients with this direct kind of access, um, so that we can, you know, for example, in an ICU type setting where um, we have access to modified barium swallow studies, but also have access to endoscopy to see what kind of uh, laryngeal and pharyngeal damage there may be after uh, respiratory failure and oral intubation. Um, so these, you know, our mission as a company is to provide high quality access to swallow uh, to swallow studies and to be able to get people eating and drinking safely, the things that they want to eat and drink. And so a big part of that is making sure that other people can provide the same service if we cannot help them in that capacity. So currently, no, but yes, this I hope will be a part of our company quite soon.
0: And so does the person, the, um, that let's say not now, but you all down the road say, okay, we are in that position to be able to bring on people, help them learn how to do this. Is it, would it be you all that says, okay, you are, you are now ready to go. (laughs) So is there, is there like a, almost like a skills checklist or a, a test or something, or is it really just based on, you know, the, the trainers as the experts saying, you've got it. I feel comfortable signing off that you can do this. Or what does that look like?
2: Right. So it's a little bit of both. So in order to be competent in fees to undergo that process, you do have to attend a basic fees course in the beginning, just to get the lay of the land, the anatomy, okay. um, maybe some, some, endoscopic passes on a normal, healthy person first. And then you go into the passes that on dysphagia patients, patients with dysphagia. Um, and so that is where the rubber hits the road. So that is for me personally, that's as a trainer, that's where I come in with my checklist and I make sure that you're doing all of the right things, uh, checking to make sure that, um, all of the functions are there for the swallow before we even give PO, before we even give ice chips or thickened liquids or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the protocol comes in. So it is a little bit of both, and it's it's quite a process, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, it
0: just seems like anything that you want to be good at this, <laughs> you want to feel really competent. The people by the other end want you to feel confident, so competent. So. You definitely want this to be more than well. I took a weekend course and look at look at me now. I'm gonna here I go. Uh, So yeah, you definitely you want to have that skill and um. So let's talk through, and I know they differ. I'm sure, um, but what does a typical assessment look like? You know, you get the referral, you go. What I mean. Have they typically already had some more informal measures like, you know, a bedside swallow, other things that take place before you all come in? Or what does that look like? And then what does the actual assessment look
2: like? So we typically are contacted by the speech pathologist who is primarily treating the patient. And typically, they'll say something to the effect of, you know, I just got the, the physician order for the fees. I've been seeing this patient usually maybe one or two weeks. Um, You know, I I want some more direction as to um, not only, again, what their diet should be at this point, but also a direction in their plan of care for dysphagia management. What exercises should I do? What compensatory strategies mm-hmm. can we try? so we usually come in to meet the speech pathologist and the patient within one to three days of the physician order and we come in you know i, I wheel my cart in i set up the tray at bedside with the food dye and the patient's preferred food sometimes family members bring you know mcdonald's cheeseburgers or they they bring whatever the patient wants from home or the facility food works too Um, We usually give education to the patient and to whoever is present in the room to make sure they understand um, the ins and outs of the procedure. Make sure they know what to expect and that they feel safe and they feel supported. Um, And then typically the exam itself lasts about five to ten minutes um once the scope is placed i always mm. say that the scope is you know placing the scope is when you feel the most pressure uh, after it gets to where it needs to be i usually say your your throat is a big hole and you shouldn't feel much of anything once the camera's in there um and that usually gets a laugh out of people and it makes them feel a little bit more comfortable we try to joke around during the during the process you know and then so we do all of our trials um and then we try strategies, to like for instance, if um, a patient is aspirating thin liquids, sometimes we'll try an effortful swallow to make sure that the uh, thin liquid can be directed down the food pipe, not the windpipe. Um, a lot of the times, certain strategies help other better than others. So we'll spend a lot of time doing that if if um, if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Then we will. Um, leave the the patient with just some some recommendations but really we save the recommendations for after we do an extensive review of the video we make sure we go through frame by frame to make sure we didn't miss anything make sure we're making the right recommendations and we write our report and we endorse all of the information to the primary speech pathologist. And then either the primary speech pathologist or myself, or sometimes both of us, we will go back to the patient and make sure that the patient is fully educated on all of the findings before I leave that day. Um, so that's a little bit of what it's like uh, in, in the fees world.
0: Well, I love that you they get in that amount of time. I mean, you're really, it's so comprehensive, which is... I mean, it's not, okay, uh, you know, hope you don't ask for the next two weeks while I get this different. you know, it's like you're able to leave them with with information they can use right then and there. And, okay, so follow-up question also. So are you starting with, you know, because I'm thinking back and I'm, again, this is aging myself and this is a long time ago, but, you know, it was like, you've got your graham cracker, you've got your applesauce, you've got your Lorna Doom cookie, you've got, and so that it was kind of, you know, you... You go through the levels, yeah. but it sounds like you start with their current diet. Is that correct?
1: Basically, it's gonna it's gonna change by patient, and I think different um, SLPs are going to have different approaches. I, for one, like to start with um, ice chips. Um, you know, the patients that I tend to see tend to be pretty low level and so i want to make sure um, you know when you're when you're using all of the same food dye for different consistencies you want to start using you want to start out with a consistency that you hope that they'll be able to swallow safely so for me that's ice chips i want to make sure that they're swallowing that effectively and that way i don't start i don't finish with ice chips and not really know what if mm-hmm. what i'm seeing is residue that's been built up from prior swallows that were ineffective or um, if it is the ice chips themselves that are getting stuck or going down the wrong mm-hmm. pipe. Um, so I usually do ice chips and then I start with thin liquid and then I may go to thickened liquid if I have to. Um, and then I'll again start low with food as well, uh, food and liquid, unless the patient looks great and then I will go you know, directly to solids. Um, so you know, different SLPs, I think, will have different approaches here. I've heard of different SLPs using different color food dyes for different consistencies, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a great idea. And I think I may adopt that in my practice as well. That way, you can kind of tell the difference between one or the other, how one consistency goes down and how another um, uh, may may have a, a different trajectory. Um, but Yeah, depending on the patient, how they're presenting, if I think that they are, you know, higher level and they look great, I may start right off with thin liquids and a regular solid. And, you know, the less time I have to torture them with that camera, the better.
0: (laughs) Okay, so it's, and the camera is in first before the food and liquid. Yeah, so. So it's ready to go. So you, you see it from. The very beginning.
1: Yeah. And so, and and like Ali said, you know, the, the most uncomfortable part is, is getting the camera in, which takes about three to five seconds, maybe. Um, and once the camera's in, it's uh, it's definitely much more comfortable. They're, they kind of feel it in there, but it shouldn't cause them any any pain. Um, and at that point, you're looking at the overall function of the vocal folds. You're looking at the function of the arytenoids, the aeropiglottic folds. You're seeing if there's edema, any swelling anywhere, redness, any uh, abnormalities like growths, um, what the secretions look like, which is really really big, for, for the patient populations that I see. And, uh, for anyone after what we were talking about before, like respiratory failure and extubation, where there may be swelling and decreased secretion management. Um, but Allie, tell me, uh, tell me if I'm missing anything or if you do things differently.
2: Not at all. So my, my favorite thing that you said is, you know, sometimes we see people, sometimes we see people on regular diets, in the skilled nursing facility or the hospital or wherever, wherever we're going to, to see a patient that day. Um, and I do sometimes want to see, you know, what, what can I see functionally right now to tell me how the patient is eating his or her lunch today, right? So if they have their favorite meal at bedside, if, if their, if their caregiver brought them in, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, I want to see what that looks like, if that's what they're currently sitting there eating, right? Yeah. So that's going to tell me a lot more than me coming in with with a protocol, but there is absolutely a time and place for a protocol. And I use a protocol with most patients, but I really mm-hmm. like what George said. You know, it, it's patient by patient uh, basis. And it takes a skilled therapist to be able to determine, you know, where we're going to go from here and what this uh, patient-centered test is going to look like.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious because I feel like there's so many, there's uh, a lot of foods or diet and colors not found in nature. What color is the food dye so that it sticks out?
1: Yeah, it, it, um, so I use white, Allie, what color do you use? Blue? I
2: use white for liquids and green for solids. Yeah.
0: Okay. Because I was thinking what, you know, it's now I remember reading this article that said, if don't eat foods that your great grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. And they gave yeah. the example of um, blue yogurt. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, and one thing too, I'm thinking, you know, if somebody's listening and, and, and it's like, wow, this would be really cool to do. Because I'm thinking if I... If I owned a skilled nursing facility, this just makes so much sense to have this versus again taking patients out, and you know that just sounds like a, a headache. So it sounds like you did the legwork, Allie, to get established with facilities in your area.
2: Is that correct? Sure. We, we we both work really hard on establishing our presence within the area, making sure that facilities know who we are, know that we're here. Um, We are currently working on projects for community outreach and to um, communicate more in depth with our community SLPs, because really it all starts with the SLPs, knowing that we're here for them, knowing that we are here to assist them in dysphagia management. Um, And just building that sense of community is really, really important to us because once we reach our colleagues, our SLPs, that's how we get to reach more patients. So yeah, it's definitely a team effort. Yeah. And you're giving
0: them such valuable information and resources as well so that they can then continue to do the work once they have the information. So um, and George, do you feel like now more facilities understand what this is? Do you feel like you're having to explain less and sell it less than you did in the beginning or what what's your thought there?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's a it's a growing trend in the right direction certainly among the speech pathology population. I think that we as SLPs are Definitely starting to see the value in this test. Definitely becoming more comfortable mm-hmm. with it, um, but there is still a lag with the understanding and acceptance from some of the administrators. And I think that's just because mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't have access to the same type of information and research mm-hmm. that we do, um, or uh, you know, they don't necessarily uh, know and understand the test as as well as we do. So it's it's an explanation that usually starts with the facility SLP and sort of kind of getting excited about it and um, telling the administrator about it. And then we get brought in to kind of explain the details. And uh, when we do reach out and when we do explain the benefits, which are multifaceted, including financially Mm -hmm. for uh, the facilities, I usually say, you know, this is, uh, because of the way the billing works in some of these facilities, um, they tend to get a lump sum from the patients. And so mm-hmm. I tell them, you know, this is a lot of money that, you know, could could be spent on a modified barium swallow study, for example, which tends to be around $1,000 more than a fees. That's money that you can spend mm-hmm. for your patients in a lot mm-hmm. of meaningful ways. Um, and yeah. not then. This, of course, is not to say anything poorly about modified barium swallow mm-hmm. studies, which will always have a place in our field and certainly tell us a lot of great information and often different mm-hmm. information that fees does. You know, they both kind of have strengths and weaknesses, but mm-hmm. in terms of purely purely from a convenience point of view, bringing the test to the facility at the bedside and being able to do it while they're in the comfort of their own bed with loved ones by their side for literally a fraction of the cost um, is, you know, those are the types of things that I think the administrators get excited about.
0: Yeah. And so SLPs listening, you have influence <laughs> and and it, it could make your job easier Um and Ali, um, just to finish us off, if you all, again, encourage everybody to go to your website and we're going to put all that in the show notes so people can find you. But what are some of the resources that listeners can find there
2: um, about your what you're doing? So on our website, something that George absolutely should be the most proud of is our blog that George works very hard on. There's a ton of educational content on the blog there and that is an excellent place to start. Uh, Just learning about fees and learning about dysphagia management in general, it all starts with the foundation of knowledge and that is how we can all get to where we need to be, which is making sure that we provide those high quality assessments for all of our patients.
0: Yeah, and we will link all of that and then again, um, any other connections for people to find you all. So thank you so much for for your work and and for doing this this is really cool and i i really honestly meant it when i said i came into this not knowing very much at all and i feel like i have a much greater understanding and i'm thinking this is really cool service and i wish that i had known about this when i was maybe i would still have been with adults who knows <laughs> but um ali and george thank you so much and um yeah we will um, definitely encourage people to go and check out your website and learn more for themselves
1: our pleasure thank you so much for having us on jennifer
0: thank you so much jennifer it was a blast and that wraps up this episode thank you for tuning into slp full disclosure for more information about this episode check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash slp full disclosure and don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest are you interested in becoming a travel slp Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top-level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.